Welcome to Cocharia's podcast, Coach to Lead. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, depending on wherever you are. Uh, so my name is Meenakshi Ayer, um, and I live in um, a, a suburb called Ashburn in the state of Virginia on the east coast of the United States. I, I moved here about more than 12 years ago, actually, um, and I'm originally from India. Um, and uh, the, what I'm going to talk about today is something uh, very close to my heart, uh, primarily because of uh, my own personal and professional experiences. I've lived in more than 10 different cities in India and then in the US. Um, I've moved around. I think uh, I've moved houses about more than 10 plus times. And uh, I've always worked in multicultural groups and multicultural teams and also virtual or global teams, distributed teams. Um, I've worked in different industries ranging from healthcare to IT, IT services to um, uh, English as a second language, English as a foreign language, ESL, EFL training. Um, and that's by way of background. After about 20 years, more than 20 years of being at it, I took a sabbatical as of last year. And um, I've, I've, uh, this is what I'm doing today is the kind of work that I would like to do um, as, an, as an independent business owner. So that's how I actually found Coach Aria. I attended the, one of the first business of coaching webinars and it was, um, uh, you know, I took away a lot from that. And this is sort of uh, me trying to give back uh, on the same forum. So uh, without further ado, the topic that uh, we're, going to, we're going to talk about today is how do we work in uh, boundaryless teams and, and facilitate teams and, and boundaryless meetings. Uh, I actually wrote this down because this was something that I want to make sure I, I got across to in this uh, forum. Uh, what I'd like to focus on is the application of interdisciplinary concepts and practices uh, in the workplace. How can we apply some of those concepts from other areas uh, that we may not even have thought of and how can, we, how can we bring that to the workplace, particularly in the context of the modern day internet age where your physical location is, hardly matters. Uh, so we have teams that are distributed, that are global. Even if you are co-located, you may have, even if your office has only one location, you may still have people that are working from home and, and things like that. Um, the second takeaway that I'd like uh, to present or offer up is, are some practical tips and techniques, including um, uh, some free online tools that are out there. So you may already be familiar with some of them, but these are some of the ones that I'm very familiar with or have become familiar in the past uh, few weeks and months. Um, the, lastly, um, I'd like to challenge each and every one of you uh, to think about how you can design for everyone. Uh, and in this context, regardless of uh, their physical location. And what I mean by design for everyone, that's something that I'll get into in a minute. Um, and, and very importantly, I want us all to remember that, you know, we, we tend to bring our whole selves to work, whether we care to admit it or realize it or not, uh, but we do. So what does that mean in the context of uh, working across physical boundaries? Um, and, I, you know, please uh, keep putting your questions in the chat window and uh, we'll take we'll take all the questions at the end of the session. 
Yes, so I'll be taking, keeping track of chat and everyone, um, this webinar is technically for one hour, but we might go over because there's a lot of stuff that we actually has to share. So if you do have to go early, that's okay. Um, we will have the entire video on YouTube later so you can watch anything you have missed. Thank you. All right. Um, so I just wanted to have the agenda out there. Uh, what I wanted to start with is our context, uh, which, some of which we've already talked about just now. Um, and then what are some of the challenges in the current context in, in uh, working across physical boundaries? Um, and then I'd like to present some concepts and associated practices. Uh, I'd like to share my personal ABC of productive boundaryless meetings. I, I, I'm going to talk about what I mean by that. What are the, my personal ABC of that? Um, and some tips and techniques, um, and then we'll take a quick look at what are some, what is some of the technology that's available and, and quite a bit of it is available for free as well. Um, I've also put down, uh, put together a list of the resources, online resources and articles and such that I have, uh, uh, uh referred to in preparation for this session. And then of course we'll wind up with, uh, questions and answers. Um, so, you know, if, if I may, and if you can please put your responses in the, in the chat window, um, what are, uh, how many of you, uh, those of you that work in uh, virtual environments, maybe you are, you are coaches that way your clients are remote or you, uh, work in a, in a typical, um, in a, in a corporation and you have team members that are, uh, remote or work from home and things like that. What are some of your, uh, some of the differences that you've noticed in, in the context of working with folks that are located with you, that are co-located with you, vis-a-vis uh, -vis people that are, let's say, in different time zones or, and or remote? So if you can just take a minute and put down your responses in the chat window, that'd be great. As everyone's doing that, maybe I'll share um, some things I've noticed. Um, for any of you who attended the webinars before with us, with Ram especially, the first time, um, for me it was challenging because he's like this. And um, he's listening really intently, but it's really hard to read body language and interpret what's happening in a virtual meeting. It's much harder, I think, um, and different than face-to-face. -face. So for me personally, it took a while to realize that no, this, this, is how, this is how Ram functions and he just, it's amazing how well he listens, especially when he puts, you know, closes his eyes. But it's not something I would have immediately <laughs> gotten. Yeah. But anyway, I will take a look at uh, what's in the chat. Yeah. So, so by yeah, the communication way, is not noticed, easy. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I just noticed that there is another Meenakshi Iyer on the call. <laughs> another <laughs> one? No. Yes, that's cool. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Any Magda, Vachak, Wozak up there? <laughs> Raise your hand. Um, all right. And, so and, that. Are and you looking one, at them or should I read them out? No, I'm looking at them. And a quick reminder okay. to everyone, if you wouldn't mind selecting all panelists and attendees in the dropdown, that'd be great. So everyone can see everything. Thank you. So there's, there's quite a bit. There's communications are not so easy. You can't just walk over and ask a question cultural influences affecting interpretation, hard to understand what lies beneath the surface. Um, people who work virtually are more disciplined and rigorous about time management and respecting meetings. 
uh, need to keep communication correct. Uh, things can be lost across time zones. Um, <laughs> I like this comment about a cubicle nation at work, uh, and we do not meet uh, very often anyway. Working remotely is uh, getting in, getting everyone into a meeting because of time zones. Yeah, so I see uh, a lot of references to time zones, uh, culture, context, uh, someone talking about jargon. Uh, yes, listening attentively. Fantastic. So uh, these are exactly some of the things I had in mind. Uh, so we are, we are kind of all on the same page. So now um, you can keep the responses coming in. I'm just going to switch back to the uh, presentation. Um, so yeah, um, I just thought I'd start with some humor. Uh, I'm sure based, especially based on the responses, most of us seem to have had some of these situations, you know, either happen to us where we struggle with the technology, making it work, um, or, um, you know, we try to multitask um, because we are remote. Um, so uh, just a Dilbert's view of the world over there. Um, so face-to-face -face meetings, what, what, what's, uh, what are some of the key characteristics? There's small talk. Um, and then there's the rest of this. There's the, because you are in person. There's eye contact. There's nonverbal cues. So, you know, someone that made a reference to uh, not being able to figure out what's under the surface. Uh, in person meetings, it's it's much easier to do that. Um, and then of course there's uh, water cooler chats. You know, you have the opportunity to sort of debrief uh, after the meeting. And typically there's this meeting after the meeting. Right, and uh, uh, so the, you have all these different opportunities in face-to-face in -face meetings. Um, and yes, I, I, I do um, agree and understand that even if you're co-located, a lot of us tend to take those calls from our desks because, they may, because there's always a conference bridge available, more often than not. Um, but then in those situations, I really think that we are losing the advantage that we typically have in having a face-to-face -face meeting. But that you know, that's based on that individual workplace culture. Now, if we um, look at, compare this with what happens in virtual meetings, we, we talked about that as well, right? There were several references made to technology, uh, like, like what we're doing right now. Um, and what does that sort of uh, give us, you know, it leads to a little bit of multitasking uh, sometimes, depending on whether you have your video on or not. Um, people are in different time zones. Um, there's very little context because you're you're away from where all the action is happening, or you are you are in a different uh, you, you come from a different culture, um, so you you have a little bit of less context in terms of what's happening uh, uh, wherever the head office is, for instance. Um, and then typically, t you know, like after this webinar, for instance. Uh, if it were a live conference, uh, there'd be opportunity for the attendees to talk amongst one another and then for me as the presenter to also mingle with the attendees. So there's going to be opportunity for feedback, opportunity for further conversation. There's, so that's what I mean by debrief. Uh, whereas after this webinar, everyone's going to log off and then go do their own thing. So uh, these are some main major differences in terms of uh, how 
our face-to-face -face meetings work and our, how typically our virtual meetings work. Um, so when I thought about this, and I, I spent a lot of time not only facilitating such meetings, um, and also, you know, I used to lead and I, I used to lead internal communications at a, at a large IT services company um, that was a multinational. And so I've, I've dealt with this for, for many years now. Um, lately, I've been thinking about um, what, what, how can I uh, bring in the concepts of design thinking into doing better meetings. And so when I started thinking about that, um, what I realized was that uh, by differentiating between face-to-face -face meetings and virtual meetings, I'm, I'm starting with a distinction in my mind. Uh, so I took a step back and then I said, you know what, a meeting is a meeting, a team is a team, regardless of physical location. So it's boundaryless. And using the concept of um, what are known as how might we questions, HM, HMW questions in, in the design thinking world. This is what I'd like to um, work through with all of you in today's session. How might we make meetings boundaryless, effective, and engaging for everyone? Um, and, and, and then, you know, I've provided the uh, relevant URL for you to go back and look at additional information on this. But this is what I'd like to um, explore a little further. So I, as I said at the beginning, I'm, uh, I'd like to offer some concepts and practices and then move on to some practical tips and techniques and then use of technology. So uh, I'd like to present my first concept, which is the concept of inclusive design. Now, what it is, we'll get into it in a minute. And the associated practice is to be anticipatory. Um, you know, someone um, from a veteran of the hospitality industry once said to me, service, and he was talking about it in the context of customer service at a, at a hotel, it's always anticipatory. So um, people providing the service are always one step ahead of their customers because they're thinking ahead in terms of what will the customer um, may the guest may ask for next or will need next and so if you t if as meeting facilitators and as team leaders and as leaders in general uh, and you don't have to have a title in order to be a leader every individual um, when in, in the workplace each of us whether again whether we believe it or not whether we realize it or not we are one another's customers uh, so you uh, you know, it's, it's almost like an assembly line. Uh, so you, 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 your tasks and your work originate from somewhere else, you do something to it and then you pass it on. So in that context, being anticipatory really, really um, takes our individual productivity and our individual um, response at the, at the workplace to a very, very much higher level. So, um, in, in exploring the concept a little bit further, um, according to the British Standards Institute, this this is what inclusive design is. It's um, and from a this is from a you know a, a touch and feel tangible product perspective or, or services. The the key words those are, I've highlighted them in blue text here. So the design of mainstream products and or services that are accessible to and usable by 
as many people as reasonably possible. And the third thing in my mind that's very important in this is without the need for special adaptation or specialized design. And this is what struck me when I was thinking about meetings and I said, you know what, just by thinking about virtual meetings in a separate bucket, I am expecting um, and I'm setting it up in a way that I, you know, I'm expecting myself as a facilitator and my attendees, um, I'm as if I am making some allowances for them, which actually, if you look at it, is not the case. So where one, in the, where any, anybody is, their physical location shouldn't really matter. So how can we take that concept and apply it? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. There's some additional literature. So this, the, the, this graph really spoke to me. So if you look at this, this is again, uh, this was a survey that was done by Microsoft many years ago in, in looking at how they could make their products more accessible. And when, when they looked at it, they found that in less than quarter of the population uh, had no difficulties. And the rest of it had some level of difficulties. And this is again, this was taken in the context of physical uh, limitations. However, you can actually, if you look at this, you can actually apply it to whatever area that, that, that you can think of. Um, the, the concept here is that we tend to design anything for the, for the mainstream. Most doors are, meant, are designed for right-handed people. Uh, pairs of scissors, it's very hard to find one for left-handed people. So um, uh, most, um, and there's this fantastic uh, TED talk by this uh, woman called uh, Sinead Burke. Uh, you have to listen to that. I've included the link to this. Uh, so, uh, you know, she, um, she has a medical condition due to which she's just, I think, about three feet tall. And so she absolutely cannot use any of the public bathrooms, particularly those ones in airports. Um, and so, you know, she talks about it, she talks about her experience. So these are some of the things that I took as inspiration um, in, in the context of uh, uh, working with boundaryless teams. So what does it look like in action? So when you talk about accessibility, so teams collaborate regardless of their physical location. There are many different ways to do that. You can have chat, your instant messenger, your office email. Uh, you can build your team camaraderie. Um, I've, I've worked with teams where we had an, we had a WhatsApp group and we knew that that was, it was like our water cooler chat. Uh, we, had, we had a team of 10 uh, distributed across three different time zones, two different countries. Um, and we used WhatsApp to, to build our team camaraderie. So we even had virtual happy hours, you know. Uh, so your location cannot be, uh, uh, um, it cannot be an excuse. Usability, uh, what do you, how do we uh, put that in action? Let's, as a team, agree on a core rules of engagement uh, that work for everyone. So you're not making exceptions and allowances for anyone. For example, we say that, okay, if this is our time zones that we're working with, let's identify two or three hours that sort of overlap for everyone, call them core hours. And, and let's agree that all our very important meetings will only happen during those core hours or meetings that require at least 90% of your uh, attendance happens only in those core hours. Without the need for special adaptation, how does that look? Everybody feels included. So for example, uh, your meetings uh, automatic, your meeting invites automatically include a video link. So it's not that, you know, some people assume it's happening in conference room A uh, in the office and then you suddenly realize that 
one or two people are actually in uh, uh, another location. Um, so you do some things by default. So again, you know, the, from a design perspective, if you focus more on designing for those on the um, on the sidelines, then you design you end up uh, designing for everyone. What tends to happen is when you tend to design something for just for the mainstream, um, those on the sidelines get left out. Um, moving on. So the next concept I want to present is dealing with dysfunction. Um, there is this fantastic book by P Patrick Lencioni called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, again, another must read. It's very easy to read. It's written like a modern day fable for those of you who are not familiar with the book. Uh, and there's also this fantastic 40 minute uh, YouTube video uh, by the author. So that's like a Cliff Notes version of the book. Um, and the reason I, I bring this up is that any team, um, regardless of where they are, there's bound to be certain certain dysfunction. And then the, the key is to uh, understand them, to recognize them, uh, acknowledge them, and then work through that. What does that mean? What's the associated practice? Um, I recommend that by being authentic, consistent, disciplined, and very importantly, intentional uh, about how we, you want to function as a team uh, and how you want to conduct your meetings, that goes a long way in doing that. Now, what do I mean by that? There's two aspects that I want to present to you. Uh, this is just a summary, um, and I've listed the source here. So uh, Lencioni talks about five layers, if you will, of the pyramid, five levels of the pyramid, um, and he starts, the, the foundational level is trust. Uh, and then he, he talks about uh, absence of trust. What does that look like? How is it caused? How can you counter it? Fear of conflict, you know, we have, how many times have we been in meetings where there's a question or there's a yes, no question, um, and or there's an opinion question and people just tend to sort of um, agree, right? And we think, wow, great, moving on. Um, is that really agreement or is it a, a manifestation of a fear of conflict? Um, and this tends to happen a lot in meetings and it's much harder uh, in meetings where it's, if it's uh, virtual, if, it's, if some of the attendees are not located, co-located, uh, and much worse if, if the video is not on. Uh, so you miss out on all the nonverbal cues, you miss out on body language, you miss out on the eye rolls, you know? So um, fear of conflicts, is it, is it real consensus or is it just artificial harmony? The next uh, thing he talks about is lack of commitment and avoidance of accountability and attention to results. So, uh, so my intent was not to uh, get into this in detail, but then um, to bring this up as a concept, something for you to think about when you're dealing with your um, teams or your clients um, uh, to think about this. Um, and these are a couple of quotes, uh, something that really um, sort of stayed with me. One is about how do you ensure that you, people are heard and what happens if they don't? Um, and this next one is about, you know, Lencioni's definition of politics. Um, and this again goes back to my point about being, uh, about the importance of being authentic. Um, the second aspect in this, I wanted to bring up another concept of radical candor. This is, there's a book uh, by Kim Scott, uh, Radical Candor. Uh, it's actually, this, this is it, this is a summary. 
Um, so it's, it's, um, it's at the intersection, radical candor is found at the intersection of care and challenge, which means you will challenge someone uh, when you really, really care about them, you care about the outcome, you care about what happens to them. And that's radical candor. And that's uh, the opportunity, the space for uh, growth. Uh, and she, you know, this, this is a fact, again, there's a talk, uh, if you don't have the uh, time or the uh, resources to read the whole book, but you can definitely listen to the talk. Um, so in the context of, uh, the, you know, in, so we looked at a couple of concepts here. I, I want to move on to the third one, which is understanding flow. Uh, what do I mean by that? Um, you know, we, we tend to, and this I want to talk about specifically in the con context of meetings. I read this somewhere and I actually tried it once or twice uh, with my teams. Um, so there's this exercise that you can do if it's a smaller group. Um, just talk about, um, actually let me step back. How many times have, been in, have we been in meetings where um, you had a reaction from someone that was very sort of unlike them? Um, you know, it could be a negative reaction. More often when, you know, when there are negative reactions in terms of, you know, this person would probably always be very even keeled and suddenly had a blowout or was very quick to disagree to something, wasn't willing to give explanations or not explanations, but uh, their uh, rationalization of it. Um, we tend to, you know, most of us, it's it said that we, um, judge others based on their actions, but we want to be judged based on our intention, right? Um, so I found that understanding, and this is where flow comes in. So if we had stopped to find out what had happened before that person came to the meeting, what were they dealing with? Maybe they got some uh, bad, uh, health care, uh, uh, bad news, uh, something happened. Uh, and it could be the other way around as well. Some, somebody could be in a great mood and you know, they might just approve everything that you asked for during the meeting. And maybe that's unlike of them, uh, unlike them. So uh, understanding where each one is coming from in that moment. Um, I know it's very hard for us to do this in, in our uh, constant go, go, go kind of world that we live in, but it really plays a role. Um, so the practice that I recommend is thinking, thinking in terms of before, during, and after. And this comes in uh, in the context of the entire meeting management process as well. So when, if you are the facilitator and you are setting up this meeting, what have you got to do before the meeting? Set up the agenda, make sure you have the right people, make sure it's, it's during core working hours, uh, make sure you have all the right people. Uh, and even before that, What's the purpose for this meeting? Do you ever need this meeting? Maybe if you think through this, you might realize you don't need this meeting. And that's, that's a good answer as well. Um, so preparation, what, what do you do during the meeting and what do you do after the meeting? They say 90% of the work is done before and after the meeting. Uh, if you think about it, there's a lot of truth to it. And for a minute, I want to take us to um, the healthcare space. What you're looking at is the World Health Organization's Surgical Safety Checklist. This was something that uh, uh, those of you that have heard of uh, Dr. Atul Gawande, uh, he is this, uh, he, he's based in the US. Uh, he wears many hats. He's a um, um, 
oncology surgeon. Um, he's a professor, an author, staff writer for the New Yorker, many, many different things. He also is an entrepreneur. Um, this was something he was involved with, and there's a book that he's written. It's called The Checklist Manifesto. He actually took inspiration from uh, the world of aviation. Um, you know, uh, those of us in the U.S. and even other, other, other places, you may be familiar with this movie called Sully, which was a real-life account of what happened um, to a United Airways plane that landed in the Hudson on a cold January morning. But there were, everybody on the plane was safe. Um, so the story around that, and if you re recall, uh, you know, the pilot and the co-pilot, they follow the checklist, and it's actually a paper checklist. And there's, if you think about checklists a little bit more, there's the basic human values that need to be in place, in my experience, the number one value need, that needs to be in place is humility. Because a lot of us tend to think that I don't need a checklist, I remember this. A checklist is, is not about, um, it's not a test of your abilities, but it's simply there to ensure that the, the flow is maintained, right? So anyway, so coming back to this, this checklist, if you look at it, there are, um, uh, you know, uh, three sections. So it's very simple, it's easy to read, just under 10 items under each list. So what happens before anesthesia is given to the patient? What happens before um, the doctor makes the first, the surgeon makes the first cut? And what happens before the patient leaves the room? So it's broken down. Um, when I was looking uh, further on online, I found this resource. Um, this is very similar to that. So you, before the meeting, what do you do? You plan, and these are the five things that you do. At the start of your meeting, what do you do? During the meeting, what do you do? Uh, so this is, this is, again, available online, and will be, um, you, you'll have it as part of the deck. So as a quick recap um, of concepts and the associated practices, inclusive design and the practices being anticipatory and thinking about um, those on the sidelines instead of just focusing on the ones on the in the mainstream uh, dealing with dysfunction and by by being authentic consistent disciplined and being intentional about it and the third concept uh, is that of understanding flow so thinking in terms of before during and after so these are um, uh, these are the this is sort of the uh, theory part of, of the presentation if you will um, I'm just going to pause and check in with Magda. Uh, Magda, anything on the chat that I should look at? Nothing specific. You're just people are loving what you are doing. So continue <laughs> okay. doing you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right. So um, remember I said it, I have my special ABC. Well, it's not really special. There's no rocket science. Uh, one thing, um, sort of a sidebar. Um, Again, I heard this somewhere and I don't remember exactly where, probably on a TED talk, where they said, you know what, as, especially as adults, uh, we really don't need to be taught as much as we need to be reminded. Uh, so this is my way of remembering it. And what, what is ABC? It's a little um, acronym I came up with. So this is my actions and behaviors checklist for having productive meetings. Um, and let's see what's in the checklist. Leading with purpose. I, I alluded to this a little bit earlier saying, you know what, when you think about a meeting uh, or think about uh, uh, how you operate with your team 
always having the why. Simon Sinek says, right, he, he has this tagline and a book and a talk and start with why. Always thinking about the why, leading with purpose, allows you to, gives you that space to, um, to pause and say, why are we doing this? And you know what, you ask, ask why enough number of times, uh, and if your response is, well, we don't need to do this, like I said, you might find out you, might, you don't need this meeting, then that's great. But then just allowing yourself to have that space. Um, what's the outcome you want out of the meeting? So we often tend to confuse output with outcome. All outcomes are outputs, but not all outputs are outcomes, right? Uh, there's this whole concept in the agile world, for instance, with OKR, uh, objectives and key results. Um, it's probably a rehashed version of management by objectives. So what is the outcome do you want, uh, that you want from this meeting? Is it a decision? Uh, is it information sharing? Is it reviewing something? Um, is it uh, a planning for something? That will help you. So purpose and your outcome, that will help you figure out who your attendees need to be. Um, and I, I do want to make a point here is that a lot of us, when we receive meeting invites, um, I've seen this happen over and over again in workplaces that um, I've been a part of, people sort of tend to think that uh, if they have no conflict, that is if they are available during that time, that they just have to say yes, and they'll take the meeting. No is an equally good answer. Or asking some questions around why your attendance is required for that meeting. Um, there's another wonderful TED talk by this woman called Lisa Bordell. She's the CEO of a future of work consultancy called Future Think, based in New York. Um, and she, in her talk, she talks about, she says, people get mad when someone wastes their money. How come we don't get mad when somebody wastes our time? Time is an irre irreplaceable resource. Money, you can, if you lose it, you can earn it back. Time, you cannot. And, and this is something that we, as meeting attendees, it's our right and a responsibility to ensure that we are adding value to that meeting by being there. And if not, no is the right answer. Um, and this goes back to the, the third item on my checklist, respect everyone and their time. Uh, so once you've figured out your purpose, once you've figured out your outcome, you know who are the people that you need on your meeting, then figure out where they are located. Um, and if they're in different time zones, then make sure that uh, you, so for example, if let's say it's a, it's a leaders meeting and you have to plan next steps on a performance review cycle of, uh, for, the, for that quarter, uh, do you wanna hold that meeting on a Friday afternoon? Do you wanna do it on a Monday morning? Uh, maybe it's the middle of the day for you, but folks attending from other time zones, maybe it's the start of their day, end of their day, think about it. So make sure that you respect, and that's how you show respect, by also the other thing, um, you know, your tools, meeting, um, uh, arrange, setting up your meeting, those tools actually allow you to see, especially if you're within the same organization, it allow you, allows you to see whether the person is available during that time or not. Take the time to do that. That's how you show respect. During the meeting, let's all ensure that, um, how many times have we caught ourselves 
uh, already formulating a response, already formulating what we want to say, even when the other person is still talking. Uh, I'm guilty of that, um, especially when it's something I know I have a, I have a very clear opinion about. Um, I, I know what you're going to say, and I don't want you to say it because what I'm going to say is, is the right thing. So let's step back and let's always remind ourselves, listen to understand, not to reply. And I think that this, uh, particularly in our um, age of tweets and posts and retweets, this is extremely important. It's so easy for us to just sit there and, and comment or respond uh, or, or retweet or basically relay the message along without looking to pause to understand what it is, right? Um, the next item on my checklist, create and maintain psychological safety. This is a big one. I know that we can do a whole session on, on psychological safety. Uh, in brief, it, in my experience and in my opinion, uh, psychological safety, my personal definition is where, where you can speak your mind uh, openly without fear of retribution. And it's easier said than done because there's a big role that our national cultures, our identities, uh, power, things such as power distance, these all play a big role in how um, psychological safety is, is established and maintained um, in organizations. But within our context of each of us leading meetings and or facilitating teams. I'm, so my context is rather narrow in this case. What can we do to create and maintain psychological safety? And I believe that um, it, a lot of it is in how you prepare for the meeting. So once you have decided that this meeting is necessary, once you have identified your outcome, it is important that you help the attendees prepare for the meeting by providing any information that's relevant to the meeting ahead of the meeting with clear expectations on what you want them to do once they receive that. And then ensuring that anything that's shared in that, in that meeting, um, it remains within that context. If you're going to record the meeting, letting attendees know in advance that the meeting is going to be recorded. If, if the meeting minutes are expected to be shared with others or particularly um, executive leadership and such that be made known in advance and things like that. Um, during the meeting, as you're coming to the call, uh, coming to uh, the end of the meeting, making sure that there's a clear call to action. How many meetings have you attended where we finish the meeting and we go get a coffee and we wonder why we had the meeting or what we really achieved from that? Um, there, again, there's a lot of literature and a lot of real practical literature around uh, meetings, number of attendees, for instance, um, you know, you have this pizza rule. So if you have uh, like two pizzas, more than if, if your team, if your attendees need more than two pizzas, then probably you have way too many people. Um, and there's this, this mathematical formula that you can use to figure out the number of connection points that you need to, um, uh, to actually uh, uh, talk to in order to maintain the um, consistency, of, consistency of what you're saying and, and keeping everyone on the same page. So uh, by adding every person that you add, you add like up to five or six connection points per person by including them in the meeting. 
so that's you know that's something i can i can share at the end of the end of the session uh, so clear call to action um, the last item the most important one in my opinion following up promptly on all the action items again we've all been in one too many meetings where you then again meet to figure out what we talked about in the previous meeting or you meet to figure out um, the agenda for the next meeting right so by following up promptly on all the action items that came out uh, of that meeting uh, you you really ensure that your meeting is not only productive but you also perhaps make sure that you don't need another meeting right um, this i was suddenly reminded of this poster that i've seen i survived another meeting that should have been an email <laughs> So uh, you can do that by doing your prompt follow-up. So that's my actions and behaviors checklist. Um, so if you look at it, there's less than 10 items. Um, they all start with an action word. Um, and they don't have too many words in each statement. So it's easy for me to uh, remember why I have them on my checklist. And it, it, you know, it has a purpose for me. Yeah. Um, moving on to some practical tips and techniques. Um, this is something, uh, the first one, SBAR, again, comes from the healthcare space. Uh, there are variations of it in, in the non-healthcare space. Situation, background, assessment, recommendation. Uh, so, by the way, these tips and techniques can be used in different types of meetings. They can also be used when, you, when you're just in your everyday working with your meeting, uh, with your team. Uh, so, SBAR is some, so I've used SBAR um, in, let's say, you know, you have to make a decision between uh, which tool to pick, which tool as in uh, a software to pick to solve a particular problem. And let's say you have two or three different uh, tools in front of you, you could write an S-bar for each of them. And then it's easier to make decisions. So decision making is where I personally use S-bar. Radar charts, I'll show you, a, a, for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, I'll show you a visual at the end of this session. Um, so essentially, it's like a, it looks like a spider web. Uh, you have many different parameters, and they're all um, like a star. And then you rate it, um, and you get a little web-looking um, output. That helps you understand what your current uh, footprint is of whatever. So for example, if you're looking at team attributes, so do, do team members feel trusted, uh, feel that they can trust one another? Um, do they feel like they collaborate uh, well enough? Uh, do they feel like what is how do they rate communication so you can have trust collaboration communication um, uh, team spirit and let's say four or five things like that and then have each one rated and then when you plot it on it's like a graph uh, you you may you, you already know that in order to be a successful team your graph should look like that and maybe when you plot it it looks like this so you know how much you have to improve um, Six thinking hats, this is something I personally haven't used, uh, but I have read about this. This is again, um, and there's literature around this, I've included it. Uh, it's basically making decisions in a very dispassionate way. So you have to make choices. Um, so there are different colored hats, one for each purpose. One is you are thinking only about the positives. Next, another hat could be when you wear that hat, you're only being devil's advocate and so on and so forth. So that's six thinking hats. Retrospectives, most of us do it in one way or another, and we typically tend to do it um, in terms of what went well, what didn't go well, what can be improved. Uh, there's another one, another variation to that, which is start, stop, continue. 
um, what should I, what should we start doing? What should we stop doing? What should we continue doing? Um, and there is a variation on that, which is called a star retrospective, where you add a few more things to it. You add, uh, what should we do less of? What should we do more of? And what did we learn? So that's your star retrospective. So these are all different techniques that you can use to uh, improve your, the quality of your meetings and also in your everyday uh, working. Um, technology. This I'm just going to run through really quick because I think we are 15, uh, 12 minutes out. Um, so these are some online tools. Uh, I've used several of these um, for meeting management. So let's say what you want to pick a topic for, you want to vote on what's the most cr critical topic for your next meeting, depending on your type of meeting. So idea boards is typically used by scrum teams to run their retrospectives. Uh, you can use a simple Google Doc, it's shared. You know, we can use, um, you can just create a, an Excel uh, in using Google Sheets or just have a doc, share it and have people vote on topics. Um, meeting space, so Zoom, like we are on. Um, then there is Meet through Google. There's Google Hangouts. Meet is, is, is a paid service. Google Hangouts is a free service. Anyone with a Google Gmail account has access to Hangouts, which is both audio and video. Skype, of course, same deal. Um, and other collaborative tools, there's several. So if you want to run polls, ask questions, again, meeting prep, you can use Slido. They have a free version. Miro, it's like a remote, um, uh, sorry, a virtual whiteboard. Um, that's that certain, up to a certain point, it's free. Strategizer, these are more like, um, that's those of you that, that are familiar with the whole business model canvas, there are several canvases like that customer journey canvas, then there's a culture canvas. The culture canvas particularly is something that you can use in this context. And these are, some of them are freely downloadable. Some of them you need to, it's a paid account. Um, the Atlassian blog, that's one of my favorite resources. Atlassian is a product company based, it's an Australian company. Um, they are all, they, their products are all about helping teams collaborate. They, they are pioneers in breaking physical boundaries. Um, and they, in true spirit of their open, so they practice what's called as open work. In true spirit of that, they actually have all of this work-life um, stuff available on their blog for free for anyone. So that's an active link. You can take a look. They have uh, playbooks. That's what they call them. For teams, they have things like health monitor and stuff like that, that you can actually print off. And, you know, they also give you instructions on how to uh, run that for your teams. So that's um, so. These are some technology-based uh, tools that I wanted to talk about, and these are all the references um, um, that that I've listed here. They're all live links. Um, and I wanted to close by showing you this visual. I saw this on Twitter last week, and I was like, "Wow!" It took me a while to figure out what this is. Um, so those of you that struggle like me, so this is basically the world map just to see, right? And so that's, that's your Arctic circle and this is Antarctica. I was like, wow. So to me, working across boundaries, it's all about uh, perspective. And, and, and being aware of the other perspectives that are out there. Um, so I just wanted to close with that. That's all I had, Magda, back to you.
Thank you, Minakshi. Um, to say this session was awesome is an understatement. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Everyone, um, if you want to ask any questions, this is your time. Um, there were a couple of questions earlier, but people were attentively listening. So uh, <laughs> someone asked, how does radical candor intersect with emotional intelligence? Ah, so my response to that based on, so I have practiced radical candor to some extent uh, because I consider myself a what you see is what you get kind of person. So take it or leave it. Uh, which is um, so I have zero tact is what I think. Like, <laughs> Me I too. That's why I like you so much. <laughs> I could never be a diplomat. Uh, <laughs> Me so I think that the concept of radical candor and how it intersects with with emotional intelligence is knowing when to practice being candid or being when to give that feedback. So it's not about sugarcoating the feedback, but about knowing, sensing, not more, more than knowing, it's about sensing, sense and respond. So, you know, you go by a lot of, lot of things. It could be facial expressions. It could be eye contact. It could be um, tone of voice, a lot of things um, that you, you are constantly receiving from the other person. And you can do that only if you're paying attention. That's the other thing. And I forgot to mention that we all focus a lot on time management, but very little on attention management. So you can have 10 different things, uh, you know, your time slots blocked off on your calendar. But if you're still looking at email, looking at your phone, mm. and then you're managing your time, but not your attention. So in order to practice radical candor, being present in the moment with the other person without any distractions, I think that's the starting point. It's not about giving feedback as much as about, it's not about you who's giving the feedback about the other person. So unless you're in, unless and until you're invested in an overall positive outcome for the other individual, I would refrain from giving any feedback because then you're making the feedback about you and not about the other individual. I don't know if that helped answer the question. I mean, that to me, um, if the person who asked wants to jump in with any clarifications, please go ahead. But I think what um, kind of came up for me as you were talking just now is we have this preconception about how long meetings should be and we schedule them in, you know, half an hours or one hours. Um, some people do the uh, express meeting where they do it at 25 minutes so that they try to cut down. Um, but even like all of these approaches, like none of them are actually right or wrong. It's like, we shouldn't be filling the meeting. We should be focusing on what do we need? Like the principles you communicated and making sure everyone's paying attention. If they aren't like, what's the point of sitting there for the next 10 minutes because we scheduled it. And I feel that happens a lot. Yes. Anyway. Yes. And so to that point, actually, I was reminded of something my mentor, um, I learned from this, learned this from my mentor. Um, he would always schedule meetings five minutes after the hour and end at 10 minutes before the hour. So especially in our workplaces where we are running from meeting to meeting, um, that gives some breathing time if you are stuck in back-to-back -back meetings. And that's something that I've practiced. The key, the key is to start and stop on time. And these are some things we can learn from Scrum, uh, one of the agile frameworks. You time box everything. So your work is done in a sprint. And so if it's, let's say it's a two week sprint, you have 10 business days to do that work. You don't just add another day to the sprint just because you have extra work. No, you close it out and you're done with that sprint. If something is left over, then you do it in the next sprint, but you, because the plan for the next sprint is already done. So you got to figure out when you will finish it. 
so it's so we we can take some of those principles in 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 how we manage our time the one other thing about time is if we ourselves don't respect our time others will not so if i think that every single meeting request i get i have to accept it because that's the that's the nice thing to do uh, then you are sending the message that you don't value your time and and that i i'm sending the message that i don't value my time and we, we may not think about it that way but it, that's how it works um something else that what you just said triggered in my mind um there's this uh, uh sort of a what do you call it like a like a blog thrive global by ariana huffington i remember reading in that uh, there was uh, there was an interview with uh, um, the hollywood actor ashton kushner and he talks about and i you know he says emails that you receive are other people's demands of you they are other people's asks of you and it's your responsibility to because that's how you pay you respect yourself by prioritizing it based on what you need to get done so it's a very fine balance and the same goes for uh, for time as well any other i think questions? i need to make some changes in my day based on the things you're saying which is great <laughs> um, great or not great means i'm doing many things wrong but we're here to live and learn absolutely um, i see a question here at um, anuradha son uh, says many a times even though one sends info before the meeting most times people don't read it and come unprepared how do you manage that oh my god i wish i had a silver bullet for that um <laughs> it's happened it you know it's it happens way more than we care to admit i think because the one reason why it keeps happening is because there's no consequence um it's very hard if the person um, who's not read it is your boss or is the ceo of the company then how do you change that well that there lies your problem right so it starts on the top for some things people are watching what the leadership is doing in terms of behavior uh, but in 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 scenarios that you can control i would send a reminder find other ways so if you are co-located hallway chats if you're not paying the person before the meeting because it's also as much as the person who's called the meeting is their responsibility as well because you are leading with purpose and you have an outcome that you're looking for and you have to do everything in your power to ensure that you're corralling everyone towards that outcome so if it takes pinging people on skype to say hey by the way the meeting is in two days hope you have read that do you have any questions um the other thing is how do you ask that right um yeah I, I I like Eileen's response. Tied to the outcome and name the specifics. Um, so, naming it and and you know making it transparent to everyone, roles and responsibilities in the meeting is great. That's one way to do it. When you publish the agenda, say these are the topics, these are the owners, and these are the people. It, you know, in, in in project management, it's called the RACI matrix. R A C I, R A C I. So that's responsibility, accountability. Uh, I forget what the C is. Yeah, uh, Racy Matrix uh, Consult. C is for consult, and I is for inform. Inform. Uh, so there's something called yeah. So there is a you, you know filling out that matrix uh, for meetings, especially if your meetings are for uh, you know the purpose is really um, huge. If the impact is huge, then uh, using that. Uh, so those are some techniques to use, um, um, Anuradha, and I think that. ensuring that in scenarios where you can you things are in your control 
um, to account, you know, one thing is to also plan. So make the assumption that people are not going to read it and provide buffer the first 10 minutes of the meeting to provide that time to people during the meeting to do that. Don't make a habit of it because then there's no consequence for people not doing it, right? So I hope that helps. Definitely. Um, so we are at the hour. Are there any yeah. last questions from anyone? Because if not, then we'll wrap up. And um, like I mentioned in the chat, I will make sure that all the slides make it onto our blog and it'll be linked also from the um, YouTube recording. So if you are watching this now or later, you will get the link to all the wonderful presentation as well as all the links that Minakshi mentioned. Um, and for those of you who are asking for password, there is no password because these sessions do not count for CCEUs. They are here for you to learn. Um, they do not, uh, we do not necessarily focus on coaching competencies. They are uh, supplementary to the work that we do as coaches. So we do not give certificates for these, but you can feel free to claim them as resource development hours when you go for your credential renewal. Um, that said, I hope you do come back for other sessions because <laughs> as you saw today, you learn so much. I mean, I've been working with virtual teams um, for my, most of my career and the mm -hmm. past, gosh, eight years, past eight years, um, I've done consulting and worked in a couple of different companies and um, it's all been remote. I've, I'm at home on my couch right now. Um, so, you know, I thought, yes, I will learn something, but I learned a lot more than I expected, which is both good and bad. So thank you, Minakshi, for um, thank yeah, you. being amazing. Um, thank you. And, and any anyone? closing? Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, but I, I just realized, so Magda works for Atlassian as well. So she can vouch for the culture over there. <laughs> yeah, I used to run marketing at Atlassian for a couple of years. Um, yeah. The culture is amazing. And that the blog that Minakshi mentioned, I mean, Atlassian is all about teamwork. There's yes. on the stock exchange, their symbol is team. This is yes. literally what they do. And yep. Yep. if you are interested about anything about teamwork, virtual or otherwise, they will have some killer free resources on their website. Absolutely. Um, but Absolutely. also I want to mention that uh, Minakshi is, has a consulting business, which she just started. So she'll be training with Coach Ari to become a coach. But in the meantime, all the things she talked about today, as well as Agile and, you know, lots of other issues um, around teams, she does this already for companies. So if you, you know, any of you need one-on-one -on -one consulting, of course, you know, reach out to her coaching. But um, if you work for a company where um, Minakshi's services could be useful, please reach out to her. Um, we didn't do this webinar because it's a sales pitch. Please don't take it as that. But, um, you know, you can see how valuable she can be to an organization. So please, um, I will put Minakshi's details on the blog as well. But if you can't wait to get in touch with her, please just email me, magda at coacharia.com, and I'll put you in touch right away. But other than that, I just want to say thank you. Uh, this was amazing. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity, Magda and Kocharya team. And yes, I'm looking forward to doing my training with Kocharya as well. And oh, looking great. forward to my, yeah, I'm looking forward to my next it's phase. It's on record my, now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is really uh, the next phase of my life and my career. Um, and so my business, I, I've uh, named it Northstar Solutions and Services, uh, northstaratwork.com. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I'm excited. It's 2020, so I can't wait to see what the future holds. So, and, and awesome. best of luck. Best wishes to everyone and thank you for making the time to attend this. And thank you, Martha. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye, right. everyone. Bye.